Um, I want you guys to, to, to try to carry a question throughout this entire sermon tonight. Um, what is God teaching you right now? For some of you guys, I, I suspect maybe uh, it just happened. Um, what is God teaching you right now? If you haven't discovered this yet, God is always at work. He's always helping us become more alive, more human, more like sons and daughters who look like him in love and virtue, more like Jesus Christ. Like he's always at work in our lives. And though he graciously takes us step by step and season by season into new areas of growth, just like we would do with anybody else growing up, right, with a kid or something like that. We, at every point along the way, God is teaching us. He may not sort of dump a truckload of all you ever need to know from here until A.D. I never got sort of a divine syllabus outside of the Bible in a way that just said, here's all the things I'm going to teach you throughout your life. Like, if the Bible is that syllabus, there's only a portion of it I'm actually going to learn. But at every moment along the way, God is at work teaching different things. What is he teaching you right now? And I think this can be a hard thing to answer, right? I remember the very first, I'm sure I was asked something like this before, but, but I remember this moment when my pastor in college asked me, he said, I remember like the way he asked it, he said, uh, what's the cutting edge of what God is teaching you right now? It sounds so 90s, doesn't it? Uh, what's the cutting edge of what God is teaching you right now? And I kind of panicked when he asked that. I remember where we were walking down the street when he asked that question. I remember the house we walked by, like it's vivid in my mind from 15 years ago or however long ago it was. When Mike Gaffney turned to me and he said, what's the cutting edge of what God is teaching you right now? And I freaked out. I did not have an answer. I had no idea. I had, I had probably like the same answer to that as I would have if he had said at 22 years old, so Jason, how diverse is your investment portfolio right now? Uh, you know, it's like, that's like the only answer I had. Like I had no idea how to answer this question, what's God doing, right? I had no idea what to, what to say, but... I was trying to come up with something because it sounded like it's the kind of question I should have an answer to. I'm walking with a pastor. What do I expect him to say? You know what I mean? Like, like what's God teaching you right now? Sounds like a pretty basic question. Like in an interview, what are your weaknesses? Like, and, and I don't know what to say. Deer in the headlights. Of course I should have thought about that. And so I say something stupid like I'm a perfectionist and I never get a job. Uh, you, know, that, you know what I mean? Like I felt that kind of tension in that moment. Like I... I don't know what to say, but I think I should have an answer to this question, and I feel like an idiot for not having answers to this question, because surely God's up to something, teaching me something. I, can't, I don't think the answer is nothing. So I don't know what it was, but that voice in my mind was screaming at me, like, how can you not even know? And I said something like, I'm just teaching me how to be humble, man, you know, or it, which is like the same answer as perfectionist to weakness. It's like this I don't know, um, just saying something that sounds right. Like that, that's kind of what I gave him, right? And the, but the reason that I didn't know what to say, again, it's not because God wasn't doing stuff. The reason I didn't know is because I hadn't thought about it. And honestly, to know about what God is teaching me would mean one of two things. If, I, if I'm going to know what God is teaching me, it means one of two things. It means I'm actively trying to learn something I'm actively trying to learn something. I might know what God is teaching me if I'm going after a particular thing. If I had come in prayer, if I had spent some time thinking, Lord, I really want to grow in this way, and would you help me learn? I probably would be able to answer that question, right? Or if I had paused to reflect on it. If I'd just taken time to reflect on what God might be doing, whether I was aiming for it or not, maybe I would have known too. I wasn't doing either of those things, so I didn't know. But I know that at that, that moment I didn't know, but I, I can't forget that moment because that was when it hit me. Well, God's probably always teaching me something. Why don't I know the answer to that question? If you were to ask me right now, I'd have to pause and take a minute to think about it too. Or I could tell you all the things I've been trying to learn and how I've been trying to grow in Christ, maybe. What's God teaching you? What are you asking him to teach you right now? What are you asking him to teach you right now? What do you want to learn how do you want to grow? So I'm, I'm even stepping away from what's God teaching you, and what do you want? How do you want to be developed and mature? How do you want to become wiser or more fully human or more fully alive or more fully like Christ? For if you call yourself a Christian, is that not what you desire? 
What is God teaching you? Tonight's passage of Scripture kicks off with the friends of Jesus asking him if they would teach him something. Jesus, would you teach us? And they, they specifically want to know if they'd teach him, if he would teach them how to pray. Teach us, they say. If you don't know this yet, hear this. Jesus makes space to teach us. In our whole lives, he continues to make space over and over and over again to teach us. In my pastoral work, in, in the, the however many years, 15 years I've been doing college ministry, the amount of times I have been with somebody and, and, my, and what, I've, what, what I've been waiting for and praying for is going, God, would you please help this person realize what you're trying to teach them? I know it. You might even know this with your roommates and with your friends or with your exes or whatever. Like, looking at people and you go, oh my gosh, like... There's so much that the universe is like bending in on you, trying to say, you need to stop talking so much, Jason. And you're like, I don't know what's wrong. I just don't know what's wrong. You know, like, I'm, I don't know. Like, and everybody around you knows, like, like all the time, I, I think people around us might know these things, and for sure God is at work trying to teach and encourage certain things. And there's this moment in our text tonight that I'm, I'm so moved by, and I'll tell you sort of, moment it clicked for me um, in, in a little bit. I'm so moved by because the disciples of Jesus say, will you teach us? And they ask for it, which is a key to learning anything, is your initiative and your asking and your seeking and your knocking, or some order of those three words. That's a key to learning and growing for sure, is your initiative. Jesus makes space for this stuff, but what, I, what I'm so interested in is not just the space that he makes, but the fact that he does it so freaking directly in our passage tonight. And for some of you, this may be super obvious. For some of you, uh, depending on the tradition you grew up in, maybe it's a surprise to you that Jesus would ever be so direct. Some of us, I, I don't know, we'll get into this. Let's, let's pray real quick, and we'll just get into the text. Father, um, thank you for being you. I pray that uh, we pray together. Because of who you are, because of how good you are, how kind and generous you are, how powerful you are, how creative you are. That the way you see us, the way you see this world would come to be forever and ever, but tonight that, that your way would come and live and reign among us here. We come before you not deserving your grace and your goodness or even your teaching, but we ask for it. Give us that, please. And would you make us a people more like you? May your spirit be kind and good to each and every one of us in this room, opening the eyes of our hearts and helping us to see how you're leading us in truth and convicting us of sin and righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one morning, Jesus' friends saw Jesus praying. He was praying by himself, and when he finished, they came up to him and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. I don't know if you've ever asked that question. Like, if you're like, I don't know how to pray. Somebody's asked you, how do you pray? And you're like, I don't know. Uh, or, or use a bunch of big words. Um, or definitely keep your eyes closed or bow your head. Or I, I don't know what your answer is, right? But, but I understand the disciples. They see Jesus praying. They may not know what he said. And he gets up and comes to them. And maybe he'd done this a bunch of other times for sure. In Luke's gospel, it's already happened at least five times that the disciples had seen him pray, and, and that's not, a, the, the, the gospel of Luke is not a comprehensive look of every moment of Jesus' life. It's selective, right? But, but we know that they had seen him pray a bunch of times, and so maybe it just took a while before they had the courage to do it. But finally, they see him pray, and they say, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And it's a community. Like this one person, we don't know who it is, is asking on behalf of all the disciples, teach us to pray. And do you know what he said? Because I, I wonder if, I mean, we read it a bit ago, but I wonder how many of us would expect Jesus to answer so directly. Teach us to pray. And he said, well, when you pray, say this. Would you put the, the, the verses up on the screen, please? Um, Ashley, are you doing slides? Thank you. Um, the, just the passage of Scripture, if you got it. Um, so from Luke 11, we read this a bit ago. Jesus, they said, Do teach us to pray. And here's what you pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. That's it. No fuss. It's not complicated. It's just direct. 
Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, pray this. I don't know what you would do, okay? But, and I don't even think this is hypothetical. It's probably has happened, okay? But if someone asked me how to teach them to pray, I'd probably give them like a stack of books and recommend a bunch of podcasts and tell them that it's really complicated, probably. Jesus, when he's asked, teach us how to pray, he gives one address, two statements, and three questions. I thought I was going to get that on one hand. I don't know why. But uh, uh, that's it. So teach us to pray. One address, two statements, three questions. Address God together as Father. That's how this starts. I actually don't think I have this anywhere in my notes, but one point I want to make about this prayer, and golly, this is worth so many sermons on its own, is this is corporate. This is corporate. We pray our Father. I long for that, by the way, when we gather together. Some of you might catch me do this from time to time because of habit. I, I, I switch gears. But if we're, if we're in a circle praying or we're in a group praying or something, I often I try to fight against the temptation to say I and me all the time, but to say us and we. I can pray for myself all day long. I'm with you right now. Why don't, why don't we pray together for each other on each other's behalf? So this isn't like rival individual prayers, hopefully complimenting and not one-upping each other. But can we corporately come before God together and call him together our Father? I want to reflect on what, what that might mean. But this is how Jesus says to address God, together as Father. That's how it starts. And with one word, Father. With one word, the Master takes us to school. Because for this prayer is not a, to a distant and abstract God out in the clouds somewhere. That one word ushers us into the reality of who we are to God. And if we're praying it corporately, not only does the word Father, the first word out of my mouth, if I'm going to obey Jesus in his teaching, if I say, Jesus, teach me how to pray, and he says, say, Father. I say, Father, or in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, I say, Our Father, because this whole prayer is collective and corporate. If I say, Our Father, that immediately not just ushers me into relationship with God, but with you. If he is our father, then you are my brothers and sisters. And the, the, with the opening words of prayer, I'm acknowledging relational realities between us and between the divine God of the universe. In one word. A few months back, I was driving to work, and I knew that I needed to confess something. To, I needed to confess my sins to God. I don't know what happened. I don't remember now. Um, probably got in an argument with my wife. I don't know what it was, but I remember driving to work cold and like frustrated. It was probably a Tuesday and I was being like, I don't want to write a sermon on a day when I'm pissed off. Um, or I was probably doing that sort of like feeling sorry for myself thing. And I have this like half mile stretch of road between my driveway and Main Street. And it was on this little strip. I got into my car and, and struggling to turn out of my driveway because uh, I haven't fixed a thing in my car for a long time. Uh, I, I realize that, like, I need to confess my sins to God. I don't want to. And I don't know if you guys can relate to this. Well, I assume if you've been walking with Jesus, you can totally relate. If you are brand new to the faith or you're not a Christian, this might make no sense to you. I don't know. But I, I was, it, to me, it feels like when, when, um, when, when, like when I tell my kids, when I say, now, Jack, you apologize to Audrey. Whatever he feels in that moment, I think, is what I was feeling about confessing my sins. Where he's like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't want to, and this is being drug out of me, and I know that I can't do anything else until we get through this because I'm going to get sent to my room. Like, whatever. I, I felt something like that going on, and I was feeling like I need to confess my sins. And I drove in silence for a few minutes, because, or seconds. It felt like minutes. It's only half a mile. But I, I drove in silence for a bit because I just couldn't figure out what to say. I've been following Jesus for, since like 18, 19 years old. I've been a pastor for a while, and I'm like, I, don't, I just don't even know what to say right now. By myself in the car. Nobody's around. Do you know what that's like, like when you go to pray and you can't speak? You can't find the words? I wanted to ask for his forgiveness. I wasn't sure where to begin. Like nothing felt or sounded right. And I remembered this prayer in that moment. I remembered this prayer in that moment. Which has been uttered in one way or another untold times throughout the history of the church in every single place Christians have existed. 
I remembered that I could begin, that Jesus even instructed me to begin. I don't know what to say. I want to pray. What am I supposed to do? What I'm supposed to say is, Father. That's how I start, Father. But that sounded freaking weird to me because I was thinking about my sin, so I didn't feel like I had the right to address God as Father, that I'd somehow had disappointed Him because I got daddy issues like every person on the earth. And I, I just, I don't, I, I was feeling all this mixed up stuff about it. And that, I think, is some of Jesus' point. Address him as father because of the grace I'm offering to you. On my account, you can call him father. It felt like I should confess first to get right with God. You know what I mean? Like, that, that, even that language is kind of cliche. Like, you gotta get right with God, you know? Like, I felt that kind of tension. But, but, but this feeling within me of I've got to confess before I even could ever call him father came into conflict with Jesus' very own teaching. Say father, that's how you pray. First, I should state the reality of our relationship. This morning my son was arguing with one of his sisters and I, this, this morning and I called him inside to talk with him. He was outside uh, kind of in our driveway. They were playing red light, green light. Uh, which is, I guess, is still a game, um, and uh, I don't know where they learned it, um, but they're arguing, he, he and my, one of my daughters are arguing, and I said, Jack, and he probably heard me, he just ignored me, so I did it two or three more times, you know, uh, I said, come here, man, I'm gonna talk to you, and uh, <laughs> so unkind, like I didn't walk outside, I yelled from the kitchen, right, um, and uh, and so he, he comes in, and he comes in with his shoulders down, and he's crying, and I could tell that he has the feeling of going to the principal's office, right? I mean, he has that sort of feeling going on. And what I wanted to talk to him about was how he was bossing his sister around. Really, I mean, like, he was outside, and, and his, my, my, one of my daughters was not wanting to play red light, green light anymore, and my son's like, no, this is how you play. You have to stand there, and then we do, and he's just going on and on and on. And, and I wanted to basically say, like, hey, dude, bossing her around is probably not going to be the best way to make her want to play with you. Um, and, and, but here's what I did first. By the grace of God, I did this first. I held his face in my hands, and I looked into his eyes, and I said, buddy, do you know that I love you? He said, mm-hmm. I said, do you know I'm not mad at you? And he goes, no. And I said, I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you at all, man. I just, I know you want to be friends with your sister, right? And he said, uh-huh. I said, can I just help you be better friends with your sister? What was I doing in that moment? What was I doing in that moment? It wasn't perfect. It was messy. I'm sure, I'm sure that I didn't, I, I know his tears didn't stop flowing for a minute. I'm sure he still felt a degree of shame. I'm sure he thought at some point I'm actually going to tell him I really am mad at him, even though my words said I wasn't. Like, I'm sure that there was still junk going on in his heart and in his mind. But in that moment, what I wanted was to remind him of my relationship with him before I got into any teaching. So I had content to give her, to give her. I had content to give him. I needed to tell him the context within which I wanted to give it. Because if he's in trouble, and if it's like an if-then statement, if you boss your sister around again, then you don't get to look at any digital screens for a month. You know, like, if it's like a, a threatening thing, that, that he hears that one way, right? What I wanted to tell him is this doesn't have to, I'm not mad, I'm not disappointed, I'm not, I actually literally just want to help. But it's going to be hard for you to believe it unless I try, at least try, to reestablish the reality of the context right now. That I, I'm observing you, I love you, I care for you, I also care for her, and so in no way am I going to tell you to do something that just that destroys her in any way and does violence to her. I want to help you become friends with your sister, bud, and I love you, right? I mean, I'm trying to establish context. Do you get that? Do you see how that might relate to this prayer a little bit? That struck me today as, 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 a, as sort of a perfect uh, metaphor for this. That praying to God as Father first parks everything else we do in a particular context. I'm not praying to God as judge or ruler or creator, although he's, he is all those things. God is a judge, and he is, he's the judge. And he does rule over all of creation, and he created it. All of creation was made by, for, and through Jesus Christ. I know all these things. Those are appropriate things, and it's appropriate to pray to God that way at times, for sure. It's when I am asking for justice to be done in the world, it might make a ton of sense for me to pray to God recognizing the fact that he's judge. 
My son, I don't know where he picked it up, but every time we pray together as a family, if my son starts, the first thing he says, I don't do this, man. My wife doesn't do this. My son does this, and I don't get it. I don't get it. He says, God, thank you for making the world and making us. Every time he starts that way, and I'm like, oh, I'm so immature. Like, like, teach me, Yoda. You know, like, I mean, I look at my eight-year-old, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And, and, and out of the mouth of babes, right? Out of, become like a child, Jason. Stop making this stuff that took a lot of discipline. Stop making it complicated. But when my son thanks God for making the world and making us, it would be totally appropriate for him to imagine in that moment the office of God as creator, of course, right? It's not inappropriate to pray to God in those ways, but I want you to see how Jesus instructs his disciples when they just have this open-ended question about how do we pray? What do we do? When Jesus tells us to begin our prayer with Father, I suspect he's onto something, right? So driving to work that day, I prayed, Father. And then, sort of like that feeling of sort of that being forced to apologize thing, I just, once I started, I felt like I had to kind of go through the motions and finish it. Like, it took a while for me to say, Father, to, to commit to that, but I know how the rest of the prayer is going, right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, that kind of thing, right? So the next thing out of my mouth was, what? Hallowed, hallowed be your name. So I'm driving down this road, I'm wanting to confess my sins to get right with God, and instead I say, Father, hallowed be your name. And I wondered in that moment, even as I was praying it, and I've prayed this prayer hundreds at least times before this, but I wondered in that moment, on that day, at that moment in the road, I wondered if it's more important that God is who God is than I am who I am. Is it more important that God is who God is than I am who I am? I wanted to talk about me, even if it's negative, I just want to talk about me. I'm talking about my sins, but I'm talking about me. That's what I wanted to talk to God about. But first, by Jesus' instruction, I needed to acknowledge who God and who He is. Not only my relationship with Him as a son, because that's what Father would mean, right? If, if He is our Father, then we are His sons and daughters. But also that who He is is set apart in goodness and love and power uniquely in our existence. There's none like him. And this is the one that I get to call father. And all of a sudden I felt like a bit of a, a, a sort of a tearing away from this looking at my belly button, thinking about my sins stuff. But now, now my eyes are lifted to look at who God is just for, for, for a minute, right? This is the one I call father. And then I, of course I pray the next line, your kingdom come. And that's really when this hit me. That's when I realized that this is a moment. This is a moment when God is taking me to school. This is a moment God is teaching me. That the forgiveness of my sin and the hearing of my confession, which is what I wanted, the forgiveness of my sin and the hearing of my confession, that they happen within the context of a particular way of life with a particular personal God. They don't just happen abstractly to whoever God might be. And in light of that, in light of who we are to God, and in light of His name and His kingdom being lifted up and coming to bear in our lives in this world, then Jesus invites us to ask for that God to provide us with whatever we need, which felt once again like a bit of injustice to me. Like if it was an injustice to pray to God as Father before I had confessed my sins, it also felt like a bit of injustice to say, will you give me what I need before I've said I'm sorry? That felt like taking advantage of Him a little bit in some you know, sort of this, this ethical fight going on within me. Jesus says, pray to that God to provide for us what we need every day and pray daily. Provide for us, please. And the genius of Jesus in this moment just grabs me when he says, give us each day our daily bread. This is actually a super tough thing to translate in Greek, by the way. It's one of the most difficult sentences to translate. Um, there's all sorts of debates on whether it means like today or tomorrow or continually every day. However you land on it, one of the connotations that jumps out of this in every interpretation, whether it's tomorrow or whether it's today, it's that this is a prayer that's daily. This is a prayer that's happening all the time. So Jesus, in, in, in the genius of his teaching, is, is telling with just saying it this way, oh, hey, disciples, I'm not going to get, this prayer is not like a one-time-for-all prayer. Like you pray this once and then you're done. I'm, I'm assuming you're going to be doing this every single day every single day, as if tomorrow I'm invited to get up and do it all over again. And then, and then of course, the part I'm waiting for comes, right? Because next I can say, uh, and forgive us our sins. 
That's why I started this whole thing anyway. I just felt like God said, don't you, don't, no, 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 no. Don't you say that before you say this other stuff first. I am a good teacher and I know what I'm doing. If you want to know how to pray right now, don't start there, start there. So I finally get to this point that I'm waiting for. By the time it came in seconds throughout the sentences, my disposition was totally different. Forgive me, Father, of my sins. Rather than feeling ashamed and defeated, which I did turning out of my driveway, in a few short sentences and a half mile down the road, just following his instructions, I I was moved from shame to hope. The words forgive me came off my lips with trust and assurance that God heard them when just before it would have been like, if you still love me. There's a catch in this prayer, of course, right? As we forgive, or as we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. There's a bit of a catch there. It's like a commentary Jesus makes in the midst of this prayer. Jesus assumes, you see, that as his friends and students will be forgiving others. Forgiveness, if you don't know this, forgiveness will mark the life of a disciple of Jesus. And if that is not a mark of your life, then that is surely one of the things God is teaching you right now. Maybe you don't know it that way. Maybe you haven't realized that God might be teaching you. Maybe you think he just keeps frustrating you. But if your life is not marked by a forgiving disposition, if instead you are holding on to grudges and bitterness, then friends, you do not know the way God has forgiven you. And by what right do you have to hold anybody else's sins against them? Jesus commands us to pray this way, and it binds us. It sort of has this double meaning. On one hand, what it means is, like, God, if we can forgive others, that surely you can forgive us. That's just part of what it means, right? It also kind of holds us to account, though, right? Like, if, if you can trust, if you can trust that I have never asked God, you can't trust this, I wish you could, but if you can trust that I never asked God for anything, that I wasn't excited about him doing through me toward others, I suppose you'd probably like me to pray a lot. If you knew that every time I prayed, God had me thinking about you and whether I'm forgiving you, I, I think you'd probably like me to pray a lot. In the midst of Jesus teaching his people how to pray, he, he, he encourages them by saying that the holy God, who is so much greater than you, can do more than you. And so if you can forgive others, then he can do a lot more than that. But also Jesus lifts our eyes in this prayer. By calling God Father, he sweeps us into relationship with him, and he does move us to thinking about our needs and, and our station in life. Give us our daily, what we need daily, and forgive us of our sins. But then he lifts our eyes up to others. And I love, I absolutely love that as this prayer moves, the focus continues to move. First to God, then to me, then to others. As he moves me, and it started, of course, me thinking about me. I wasn't thinking about you or anybody else. I wasn't thinking about my wife or anybody else. Can you imagine? I don't know what that sin was that day that I wanted to confess, but if it was an argument with my wife, I wasn't driving out that driveway thinking about forgiving her. I was thinking about whether God was forgiving me. And I love that what this prayer does is it turns my attention around and it makes me think, am I forgiving her like I'm being forgiven? Do you see that twist? I mean, the genius of our Lord, y'all. One address, two statements, three questions. And this is the kind of stuff that's blowing up in a half mile stretch down the freeway for a guy who's been doing it for a freeway, down a tiny little road. I don't know why I said freeway. Down a tiny little road. Uh, I've been doing this for years. Jesus teaches all of this in just a short little time. He's a good teacher. Jesus teaches how to pray, and in just a few punchy sentences, he delivers all of this stuff. I know that many of us have grown up in traditions. Let me actually... Um, give you a bit of a bird's eye view here just for a second. This scripture passage today is specifically about prayer. What I'm interested in, in, in sort of highlighting and drawing your attention to is how good of a teacher Jesus is. If you're interested in more about prayer, I might say a few more things here. And I left right outside those doors on this little table out there, I left a stack of about 20 papers from a seminar we had on prayer last year. Um, in, in, I don't know why I'm pointing back there. In the hub down there. Um, it's one of the best resources I can think of on prayer. Um, I don't think it's better than, than that. 
but it, it actually teases a lot of that stuff out in ways that might be really helpful for you. Um, so you can grab one of those on the way out. But, but the reason I wanted to leave those there is because if you want to learn more about prayer than just what Jesus taught here, uh, that there's more stuff there. I want to focus just for a minute on how freaking genius he is as a teacher and how good he is as a teacher. I know that many of us have grown up in traditions which are very comfortable talking about Jesus as Savior. Some of you have been in churches where you talk about that. Jesus is a forgiver of sins. You, you think a lot about his sacrifice on the cross, which you should. That's really fantastic. I'm glad we focus on that because Jesus is definitely our Savior, okay? Um, some of us grew up in traditions, or potentially we've, this actually tends to be kind of common. We actually kind of leave traditions of our youth, and then we begin to sort of meditate on Jesus as a friend. You don't actually need to leave anywhere for you to, to know that. Jesus is actually a, a friend, but, but there's all sorts of ways that you might categorize Christ. What, uh, a big word for it is like offices or like what are the titles, what are the categories that he has as prophet, priest, king, friend, counselor, Lord, all, all these kinds of things, right? Savior, comforter, like God with us, like all these kinds of phrases that you could land on him. I know from talking with many of you, some of your traditions are really comfortable talking about Jesus as Savior, and some of you are really comfortable talking about Jesus as friend. But the first and most natural way that the disciples saw him was as a teacher. That's the most natural and comfortable way that they saw him. That's how they first recognized him is as a teacher, as someone to learn from and be more like, not fundamentally or primarily as somebody who would save them from their sins or as somebody who was a good friend. The disciples were not fundamentally and primarily following him around because he was a good friend. He was a teacher to learn from. Would you, would you put that one slide up? It's really simple with rabbi and disciple. I just want you guys to see this. This is what these words mean. Just to translate them for you, okay? Like rabbi is what they call them a lot, and this just means teacher, and disciple literally just means student. They, and they called him Lord, which uh, had different sort of connotations, of course, but they were often referred to as the disciples of Jesus. They were students of him, and I say this quite a bit, I think it needs to be said quite a bit, but maybe we've co-opted that word student into our culture today, to, to, and maybe you think this way, that you being a student in your classrooms is just about you intellectually learning a couple things. Student for them meant apprentice. Student for them meant, um, it's the difference between, I think I said it this way last year in a sermon, it's the difference between sitting in a math class trying to learn algebra versus sitting in a math class wanting to learn how to be a math teacher. Do you see that difference? Like, like, if I'm just learning algebra, I'm not actually probably paying attention to what that teacher, like what she says exactly, how she dresses, what time she shows up, what books she reads, um, the way she cultivates her community around her, the process that she took to become a teacher. Like, in order for me to be, if, if all I care about is math, I don't care about any of that. If what I want is to be like her, well, then what I care about is a whole mess of stuff that brought her to this moment and allows her to be that way. Do you see that difference? The disciples saw themselves as students of Jesus that were intended to become like the teacher. Jesus is a teacher and the disciples were his students. He knew things they didn't know. He lived with a freedom that they didn't know how to grasp. He had power that they desired. And they came to him as a teacher, hoping he would share with them his ways. And Jesus offers himself to us still this way. I'm just, just, to, just to kind of pull apart and shotgun at you things Jesus says about prayer because we got some questions about it. We got thoughts about it. Most, many of you in this room, maybe statistically most of you in this room would be terrified to pray out loud. Or you don't know what to say when it's time to pray. Or what do you say when you're thinking about praying something and somebody else prays that thing? Then what do you do? You know, do you have to say just a lot? Do you have to say Lord like a million times? Can we say Father? Can we say Holy One? Can we say God Almighty? Do, what, do we, what do we say? Do we say in Jesus' name? Do we say in your name? Can we pray to the Spirit? Maybe you got all sorts. I got, these are questions I ask all the time. Okay, I don't know. Maybe you're like, dude, stop. Okay, anyway, whatever. Uh, check this out. Okay, these are some of the things that, that Jesus would say. He would say, pray this in Luke's gospel. In Matthew's gospel, he, he, uh, and potentially it was a different moment because Jesus very likely, as he traveled around, said similar things. Maybe it's one thing interpreted different ways. We don't know, but... In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, pray like this, which gives us a lot of freedom to either take it in rote, like just to go kind of word by word through it. Some of you have this weird idea, weird idea, that if it's not ad lib, it's not spiritual, which is super weird. It's, and I encourage you to question the snot out of that. 
Because it's very likely that if you just get up and you don't prepare anything and you just start talking, it's probably more likely that it's just you and not God. Then if you spend a little time praying and editing and thinking through God, less of me, more of you. And you come up with something that you've faithfully thought about bringing to people. But, but I, I don't know why, maybe it's just a thing we all go through and as we sort of have this moment where if I got up and I read a prayer written out, you would think that that, some of you don't struggle with this at all. Some of you really do, I hear this quite a bit. Um, we ask people to share testimonies up front sometimes and there's, we haven't done that much this year. We should do that more. Um, uh, We'll ask some people to do it sometimes, and I'll say, will you please write out what you want to say to everybody? And I can see this resistance. But if I write it out, it's not going to be authentic. And I'm like, well, is somebody else going to write it? Well, no, it's going to be me. Well, what makes it not authentic then, you know? Uh, anyway, whatever. I, Matthew's gospel gives you a little bit of freedom to go nuts. Luke's gospel ties you straight to the words, okay? Anyway, that's a tangent, sorry. Um, hypocritical, in, incidentally. Um, and that's not all. Okay. You shouldn't use a bunch of words or talk a lot when you pray. I'm not making this stuff up right now. This is stuff Jesus actually taught on prayer, just to show you how clear he can be and the ways in which he just directly answers questions that many of us have sometimes about things, right? Don't use a lot of words. You also should be really careful to pray in front of others. And if it sometimes feels like your prayers aren't being answered, then pound on the door a lot. If people in this life respond to annoying friends, how much more will your Father in Heaven respond to you when he doesn't even get annoyed by you? As a paraphrase of the verses following this in Luke chapter 11. Jesus actually tells us that. If you ever feel sometimes like you're praying and God's not listening, Jesus is like, totally. It'll feel like that sometimes. Just bang away on that door. Your friends in this life who get annoyed by you will answer sometimes just because you're being persistent. Not because they even like you. You just won't leave them alone and they answer. How much more will your Father in Heaven answer you when He doesn't get annoyed like that with you? Jesus encourages us to, to think this way, right? This is the kind of stuff he says. Pray boldly. Ask, seek, knock. If you want to receive from him, do you know what you should do? Ask. Don't make it complicated. If you want a door to be open in your life, you're supposed to start knocking. If you want to find him, seek him. And if you're not willing to seek, why do you expect to find him? If you want to find him, seek him. These are the kinds of instructions that Jesus, this master teacher, gives, right? I know that some of us can be very frustrated. I know, again, I'm not wanting to talk so much about prayer so much as the directness and the clarity of Jesus' teaching so often. You guys ask a ton of questions, and so many of them Jesus actually addresses pretty dang well. I know that some of us can be really frustrated because combing through the pages of Scripture won't reveal like a single sentence that tells you who you're supposed to marry or what you're supposed to study or what job you're going to have at 40. And in a sense, the Bible is not an instruction manual like that, like a frequently asked question page or a glossary where you can keyword search spouse and you open it up and there's, you know, right now there'd be like seven and a half billion answers or verses, but there'd be, you know, X amount all throughout history or whatever, right? Like, it's not exactly like that. And for some of us, it can be super frustrating and we can maybe say, well, it's not like that, so it doesn't have any answers, which would be super weird. It doesn't mean that we don't have ample instruction. Let me give you an example. I end up talking to a lot of guys. And, oh, man, I'm just talking about guys a lot tonight. Um, I've been here. I'm still here. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't have another metaphor in my mind. I apologize, guys. I hope this is helpful. Uh, I end up talking to a lot of guys about romance um, in this job, and, and specifically about how to ask girls on dates or how to break up with them, okay, or how to respond to being broken up with, either one. Um, and y'all, there's like a ton of wisdom in this stuff. This is not grasping at straws. This is not like, well, who really knows? There's actually a lot of really, really great wisdom in this. But every now and again, I run into a pretty kind of frustrating moment. And it goes something like this, right? I might encourage a guy. I might say, hey, why don't you ask that girl out, man? I know that you like her a lot and you've been thinking about it forever. You should ask her out. And he says, well, what should I say? I say, well, I don't know. And he says, all right, well, I'll just tell her that I really like her a lot. And I say, well, maybe don't say that. And he's like, all right, well, what do I say? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Uh, and he goes, okay, okay, how about I say, like, can we, can we go get coffee sometime? Like, it's not a big deal if you don't want to go, but, but if you really do want to go, then I think that would be really great. And I'm like, ooh, yeah, don't say that. <laughs> he's like, well, what should I say? And I'm like, all right, okay, okay, fine. Maybe just, like, 
Like I try not to do this, like I try to just like leave it wide open, right? But then eventually I kind of get to this point where I do this and this is a confession maybe more than anything. But I'll say like, I'll say, okay, well maybe just say something like this and only say this. Hey, would you let me take you on a date this weekend? And the guy, the guy does this. He goes, ooh, ooh, hold on, let me write that down. Okay, would you let, what, did you say me, you know? And I, I start to lose my mind, like in that moment. Like I, I just really get frustrated because there is this like hunt for a peculiar, perfect, situational answer. But what's being missed, what's being missed is the kind of man and the way of relating which blesses a woman in all circumstances. Like, sometimes what happens is a guy will look at me, and I've been married for a while, and so maybe that makes me like a wizard, but tons of people get married, you know? Like, and I didn't, do, I actually, it was a terrible process for pursuing my wife. Like, I can't believe she said yes to me. It was incredibly awkward, and I would never tell you anybody to repeat that process, okay? I'm, I can't get into details tonight, but um, you can ask me some other time. But this guy's looking at me like I've got like some encyclopedia with like all the right situational answers and things. And what, what, what I'm trying to show him or, or talk to him about is, is it's not that there are like select answers and you have to guess the right one on some multiple choice chart. There are principles. There are general wisdom things. There are grids through which I'm running all of this through. And so when you tell this girl that you really like her a lot, you just put too much pressure on her. It's not that the sentence itself is bad, it's what the sentence is doing, and that's how I know. It's not because I've already decided that that's a poor sentence and you failed. It's, I, I'm running through this grid of pressure, and if you start to go, okay, don't, don't put pressure on somebody. I'm like, oh my gosh, you start making a list. You start making a list, and it's going to be pages and pages long, and you'll never know it. You'll never know it. And, and, and in the search, in the hunt, for a super peculiar, perfect little answer, you're missing all of the stuff that would allow you to be the kind of person to know the right answers when you find them. I'm not trying to be sticky or tricky here, guys. I'm, I'm really not. It's, it's a tough situation because if you're stuck in that very legalistic, like, give me the one right answer for this one right thing, like in every single circumstance, and somebody else out there has figured out all those, and you just got to find out how to get them, there, there's a ton of weird idolatry and pressure in that. A ton. And it all of a sudden is really, especially in like romance or friendship, like, can you imagine, is there, things got like weirdly romantic over here. Uh, okay, um, whoa. Um, can you imagine how, how, um, how much, I, I guess this would betray romance or trust or vulnerability if there was one magic sentence that just worked. And all I had to do was just give the guys that one and everybody was helpless to go on dates. You know, can you imagine what kind of weird betrayal of, of intimacy and vulnerability and free will that would cause? It's far more complicated in a sense. So every person in this room, when you become friends with somebody or when you're romantically interested in somebody, you should consider who they are specifically. Specifically. What does it mean to honor them? To leave their free will intact, to not make decisions for them, but let them make their own damn decisions. Don't put pressure on them because that's weird and uncomfortable super early. Don't do that. You know? Like, I can get really practical on how to go through breakups as well. We should just do a seminar on that sometime soon. Okay, we'll do that soon, how to break up with people well. Um, okay, listen, listen, listen. What's, the reason I get frustrated is because I want everybody to forget, I want these, when I'm talking with folks, this has happened with women too, it just happens more often with guys because of, I'm a guy, I'm talking with guys. But what I want is you to kind of, in a way, forget about the right thing to say and become the kind of person who always says the right things. That's what I want. And when somebody has learned that, you can seem like Yoda, you know? How come you always know? I'm like, because I stopped thinking about what you're thinking about, and I started thinking about honoring people, which is really wide open, and it calls for a lot of consideration in every moment. And also, I don't say the right thing all the time. I'm just not saying that thing, <laughs> you know? Uh, anyway, um, the kinds of stuff that Jesus teaches us is a little bit like this. It's broad principles. It's big stuff. So you might not know what to study, but you are, for example, these are, these are pulled out of Scripture passages. I don't want to just keep loading up the screen. You can ask me for them later if this is somehow weirdly compelling for you. But you might not know what to study, but you are told that you are to be aware of your gifts and use them. And that's not just like the weird spiritual things. Your family history, your intellect, your sense of humor, your social skills. What are, you, what, who, what are the things that you have, the gifts that you have in your life? 
How are you using them for the common good? That should come to bear upon what you study. You're supposed to honor your parents. You're supposed to care for the needs of others around you, especially in the church. If you are thinking about what to do with your life and it has nothing to do with caring about other people or making this world a better place, friends, that might be something God is trying to teach you right now. You're called to steward your resources wisely, to work hard. To work hard. To not chase after money and to give no one any cause to have anything bad to say about you on and on. These are pulled straight out of the pages of Scripture. And you start throwing all of these things together, you start taking stock of all of that, and you'll find that the scope of the possibilities of what you might study and do with your life begins to hone in on some really good options. Listening to the teachings of Jesus and obeying them is super helpful in your discernment and decision-making, in your relating with others, in your management of money, in your management of your emotions. Do not gossip. Take every thought captive. Do not sin in your anger. Do not lust. Honor others greater than yourselves. Jesus teaches and teaches and teaches and teaches. This is what one of my thought heroes, <laughs> I've got categories, uh, Dallas Willard has to say. Would you put that Dallas Willard thing up? Let's read this together, right? The teachings of Jesus and the Gospels show us how to live the life we have been given through the time, place, family, neighbors, talents, and opportunities that are ours. His words left to us in the Scripture provide all we need in the way of general teachings about how to conduct our particular affairs. If we only put them into practice along the lines previously discussed, there's some mystery and intrigue about what was previously discussed. I'd be happy to give you books. Uh, most of the problems that trouble human life would be eliminated. He goes on a little bit. Let's keep going. That is why, as we have noted, Jesus directs his teaching in Matthew 5 through 7 toward things like murder and anger, contempt and lusting, family rejection, verbal bullying. This is real life. Can you imagine if, if just these things were being addressed, if Christians stopped murdering and stopped acting out in their anger, if they stopped having contempt, if they stopped lusting, if they stopped rejecting family, if they stopped verbally bullying, how much of this world would change? If you even get a glimpse of that, maybe you can see that Jesus is a good teacher. This is real life. Though his teachings do not make a life, you can't line them up and then do it in, in like a particular like model of a way because they're all contextual and cross over and intersect everywhere. That, that word comes from here. They intersect at every point with every life. His teachings about letting your yes be yes and your no be no intersect with every single person in this room. His teachings about not lusting intersect with every single person in this room. His teaching about not letting your prayers be seen before others so that they might glorify you and not your Father in heaven. I'm mixing a couple things there, but that's the gist of it right there. That intersects with every single person in this room. So life in the kingdom is not just a matter of not doing what is wrong. The apprentices, which disciples or students, the apprentices of Jesus are primarily occupied with the positive good that can be done during their days under the sun and the positive strengths and virtues that they developed in themselves as they grow toward the kingdom prepared for them from the foundations of the world. What they and God get out of their lifetime is chiefly the person they become. And that's why their real life is so important. Jesus teaches us, and his teachings intersect at every point with every life. They come to bear on our relationships, on our money, on our free time, on our body, on every aspect of our lives. But we are finite and temporal creatures, and we can only live our lives, like the prayer says, one day at a time, moment by moment. God is always at work making space to teach us, but he might be teaching us moment by moment, day by day. And the question is, what is he making space to teach you right now? What is it that God is at work teaching you right now? I am quite sure, like me that day in college, I'm quite sure that in all the noise and fear and distraction that we live in, that answering the question of how is God at work in my life teaching me something right now, I'm pretty sure answering that question is often pretty difficult for us. So I want to help you just by giving you what, at least what for me has been two really helpful questions to, to kind of ask from time to time. 
Actually, if you'd put those up, that'd be great. The first is this. What do you keep on trying to do? And it's just not working out so well. What do you keep trying to do? What do you keep throwing your weight into? Getting up every day and doing it again and again and again. And it's just not working out so well. Particular friendships. Particular ways of relating. Jobs. Maybe you're applying for jobs in certain ways. Maybe you're trying to get good grades in a particular class. Maybe you're trying to get by on something. Maybe you're trying to get somebody to notice you. And it just doesn't seem to be working very well. I'm not saying that the answer to this question or the next one is go somewhere else. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that. If you don't know how to answer the question, what is God teaching me right now? This might be a good place to start. To begin to look at arenas where God might be up to something. Introducing your, your, your attention, introducing your tensions, introducing you to your, these tensions that exist in your life in order that you might actually open your eyes to something that you need to learn that would be good for you and good for this world. What do you keep trying to do and it's just not working out? And who do you want to become and what's in the way of that? Man, I wish you guys would ask both these questions a lot. Who do you want to become? I'm, I'm talking about relationships a lot today. I don't know why it keeps coming to mind, but I know a lot of people that, for example, want to be husbands and wives and fathers and mothers. When you imagine a good father and mother or a good husband or wife, What's between you and that? What's between you and that? What do you notice? What needs to happen in order for you to get there? That might be an area that God is is working some stuff out in. You want to be really successful in a particular kind of job, and there's hurdles in the way. What are those hurdles, and how might you ask the Lord, what what, what are you teaching me? Because I'm not where I, I want to be yet. I'm not there yet. What do I need to change? What do I need to drop and let go of? What do I need to add to my life? There's three very real possibilities. When God is at work beginning to teach us, there are things I have had to do all three. I've had to change a lot of things a lot of times. I've had to give up very good things. There was a, I mean, this, this may sound super strange to some of you. Some of you, this may sound like a big deal. But there was this whole season of my life where I was like, the Lord, I very distinctly, I was like, I think I need to give up playing guitar and doing music. A much, a much more obvious one was like, I need to give up all video games for a long time. I need to give that up. I need to give up, um, man, all sorts of things. I need to give up criticism as a first response. I need to add into my life celebrating. This happened to me a couple years ago that, that I, I realized I wanted to be a good leader and pastor and good leaders acknowledge really cool things and they say, good job, and I don't do that. I was like, I need to learn how to celebrate. Lord, would you add this into my life? And that meant taking out other things. Who do you want to become? And what's in the way of that? Friends, these two questions can be really helpful in directing your attention to how God might be at work in your life. I'm sure that there are hundreds of helpful questions. These are just the ones that have been helpful for me, right? Hear him, they've they've helped me, like hear him teach me that I need to forgive people when I gave up hope, to hope when I gave up that hope, I guess, and to forgive when I've been holding on to bitterness, to start celebrating others, like I said, to realize my 